Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeves, and welcome back. We are here to become better habitat managers. Thank you guys very much for tuning in once again. We have a great show for you here today. We have none other than Blake Mallory out of Michigan. Now, if you guys have been following along with Michigan Whitetail Pursuit uh, in the past at all, as much as we've talked about them, you'll see Blake there a lot in the videos. Uh, he's a very successful hunter, outdoorsman, and we have him on tonight to discuss DIY hunting out of state on a budget. Um, we'd get into different sorts of things. We talk about you know, who Blake is, where he's from, his role with Mr. Whitetail Pursuit. We talk about our turkey hunts. Uh, some, and then we get into really the, the meat and potatoes of it are, is, or is the DIY hunting trips out of state. You know, which state to choose, which location inside that state, what habitat to look for when scouting, whether you're either on digital maps online or, you know, boots on the ground tips and tricks he's learned, the type of people you want to bring on these trips with you versus not. Um, we talk a bunch of good stuff about that. Then we also get into Blake's book. Blake has a book out called The Non-Resident Hunter. It's on Amazon. Um, the subtitle here is How to Destination Deer Hunt on a Budget. Now, this is a, a nice, easy read, um, 140 pages or so, 10, 12 bucks on Amazon, we're going to hook that up to the uh, Habitat Podcast Amazon page as well, so you guys can find that. But just really excited to have Blake on here. Blake's a, a killer. Uh, 
a, you know, a good Michigan hunter, part of a our Michigan Whitetail Pursuit team, and it's just great, great discussion. I was fired up after we were done recording this. I'll tell you what. I mean, I went out the next morning and shot a turkey, so I'll put it that way. Um, it's a great episode, and we're excited to bring it to you guys here. Now, I want to thank uh, Packer Max Call to Packers for their support in, in our podcast. They were our very first sponsor, guys. I'm talking three-plus years ago, three-and-a-half years ago. Lincoln and I had a, had a discussion, and, and we started talking, and, and he was the very first uh, sponsor and partner of our show. And... Um, There'll always be one, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's a great dude, great products, uh, great Michigan-based company, but we're going to talk about his crimper, so his ATV roller crimper attachment that you attach to your Packer Max heavy-duty HD model is out, guys, it's on the website, he has them in stock, so head on over to PackerMax.com, uh, check it out, it's up there, the roller crimper attachment, uh, you know, be sure to use... Your code, if you buy a Packer Max, $25 off with the code HPC25. But I'm fired up about this crimper as well. I'm going to be grabbing my crimper next week. Go over there and visit Lincoln and, and check this thing out and put this thing to use here in uh, late May, early June. So this podcast will launch um, tomorrow morning, Thursday the 20th, and I hope to be crimping by early June. So... Check that out, guys. The first ATV Colt Packer attachment that is a roller crimper available in the market. Um, cheapest that I've ever seen for a crimper. And uh, it's available at PackerMax.com. So thank you, Lincoln, for your support. And uh, I'm happy for you got this thing launched, man. This is great. I also want to thank our listeners. Uh, we have uh, a bunch of our land plan clients all come from from being, you know, followers of the podcast and, and liking what we're doing, you know, how we cover things, the issues and goals and media that we have on here. Um, you know, we've learned a lot in the past three and a half, four years, and, and we're putting that knowledge to work on client properties uh, combined with our experience that we've had on our own properties and, and leases over the past 10 years and 25 years, depending on who you talk to. So we are happily helping out listeners with these land plan services. We just booked one down in Virginia. Uh, excited to get down there and, and check that place out. Also, um, just did two northern Michigan properties about two weeks ago, working on those plans right now as well. And then, uh, you know, we got our buddy Ryan up in uh, Canada. We're, we're wrapping up his plan too. So, Guys, if you're interested in the land plan services, we're only taking on a couple more this year because we kind of want to be done by July, um, maybe August. We want to be able to work on our own stuff as well and and be sure to, you know, spend some time with the family and, and all that good stuff. But we'll take a couple more of these this year, and then we're going to wrap up and push till 2022. So if you're interested, get your name in now. Visit us at habitatpodcast.com. Uh, slash land plans or find the land plan page on there, submit your information, and um, we'll reach out to you and, and start talking about how we can help on your property. Uh, again, what we're finding is a lot of people are not sure where to start. A lot of people already have ideas and they want another set of eyeballs on them. Um, also, they've already had some other, you know, consultants out there and they just want to know if the first guy was accurate. So, you know, we can help solidify some of that too. 
different plans, different options. We're here to help, guys. Uh, and we just appreciate your help by supporting us. So, uh, speaking of supporting us, we have HabitatPodcast.com. We have hats, shirts, hoodies, uh, coffee cups, whatever you want up there. Really appreciate the support. Um, and then I also want to cover our our other partners here. Give a good shout-out to HuntWise, to Killer Food Plus, to Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, to the Habitat Hook, to Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. Be sure, guys, if you ha- if you want to sell your property, now is no better time. And then we have Morse Nursery. So thank you guys for your support. Uh, let's get right into it with Blake Mallory and, you know, DIY out-of-state hunts. And, guys, I really just want to thank you so much for coming back, and we'll keep on going with another great episode next week. I wanted to mention one more thing. The team here over at Habitat Podcast, we're looking for one, possibly two interns here in summer of 2021 or fall 2021. Um, What we're looking for are some college students who need an internship, and then our area of focus that we want to, you know, help out with would be digital online marketing uh, for one intern, and the second one would be, you know, wildlife biology or forestry, habitat management, any sort of field that... uh, is out in the in the woods with us, in the wild with us, and and we can help, you know, teach, and then also have some cool projects in mind that we want to do with that. So, again, I want to just reiterate: if anybody has a a son, friend, daughter who wants to possibly intern with the Habitat Podcast, um, we'd love to to reach out and, and talk with you. Hit us up on Facebook, send us a message there, or go to habitatpodcast.com, submit your information there, or you can email. Info at habitatpodcast.com, and we just love to, to talk and, and see who can help with an internship, uh, possibly help us as well. So thank you much, guys, and I look forward to hearing from you. All right, guys, we're back. We have a special episode here tonight. We have uh, Brian Hallbly. You guys all know Big B. And then we have a friend of mine from the Michigan Whitetail Pursuit team, Mr. Blake Mallory. How you doing tonight, Blake? Good. How's it going? Good, man. Good. Trying my butt off to find some morels. Can't seem to do it. Um, I got a turkey I still need to shoot. Um, tell me you've done both of those so far this spring. Uh, I haven't found any morels yet, but I did I did connect on my turkey. actually connected with uh, uh, first time ever with a recurve uh, this year, so I was happy, happy to get that done. That video should be coming out soon. So, Congrats on that. Yeah, congrats, man. I know how hard it is with a bow, period, let alone a recurve. No, it was uh, – I wanted to pull my hair out a few times. Uh, I almost gave up and brought the shotgun out, but I stuck with it, so I was happy for that. So, How many opportunities would you say you had to maybe pass or screw up or whatever to get that, that done? Well, last year I had an opportunity on opening day, and my uh, uh, my dad ended up – he was sitting about 10 yards behind me, and he, uh, he did, couldn't understand why I hadn't shot yet, um, and he ended up <laughs> shooting at the bird before – I got my chance to, so he messed that one up, and then I ended up flinging one at him and missed, and then uh, gave up last year and went with a compound for a while, and then ended up getting with a shotgun. And then this year, I so said I was just going to grind it out. My daughter got her first turkey, so I was like, this year's already a success, and I was just going to stick it out with the, the recurve as long as I could. And I ended up calling in a long beard at five yards, and I uh, I realized uh, um, there is actually such a thing as too close. 
uh, had been shooting at about 15 yards, and I ended up shooting about an inch over his head twice at five yards and didn't get him. But then uh, I ended up connecting on a, on a Jake uh, last weekend, a uh, headshot at nine yards. So that was pretty sweet. And that's all on uh, footage for MWP, right? Yep, yep. That one I'm working on editing that right now. So that'll be coming out here hopefully in about a week or two. Well done, man. Well done. Nice job. You do uh, you do work hard, and, and, you know, it seems like the the opportunities present themselves, you know, as the harder you work. So for before, you know, we get more into into what you've done over the past few years, let's hear about, you know, who you are, where you're from, um, what you do for Michigan Whitetail Pursuit on that side of things, and uh, get this background started. Yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm originally from Sparta, Michigan, just north of Grand Rapids, and uh, um, just grew up kind of a farm kid in country and uh, um, went to Grand Valley State, uh, graduated from uh, um, Grand Valley with Natural Resource Management. Uh, as of right now, I'm an environmental biologist, and uh, basically from there, I, uh, um, I've guided, uh, I've done taxidermy, um, I've uh, just plugged away at videoing ever since I was basically about 16, and um, just uh, hunted just about anywhere and everywhere I could, um, where I could afford, and uh, um, just been plugging away. Uh, I always say it's about the side hustle. Um, about what you do after work um, and uh, and how hard you push to to keep doing stuff like that. So um, I started with uh, Rogue and Rugged Country um, a few years back and then uh, teamed up with Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. And I've been helping edit it there now for about three years um, and uh, video there. Um, kind of pushed, uh, pushed us at Michigan Whitetail Pursuit to start on the road series. Um, to start videotaping because most of my stuff that I do is my season is kind of I kind of call it like uh, what I do when I'm at home and then the rest of the season I'm hunting everywhere else uh, yeah I mean uh, deer seasons from September to February depending on where you're hunting um, and, not, and not just in the home state of Michigan so but uh, now I live down in uh, St. Joe County um, I've got Indiana and Ohio right here so I buy those tags every year so I can jump across the borders um, go down to southern Ohio all the time, and not to mention Kansas, Wyoming, Nebraska, North Dakota, Iowa. Should be drawing my Iowa tag this year, so I'm um, looking forward to that. But, cool. uh, yeah. That's awesome, and and I agree about that side hustle thing for sure. Um, you know, we can Amen. relate. Now, the, the um, you said you're an environmental biologist. Is that correct? Yep. Tell me about that. What you do um, during your day to day, you know, out out in the woods, or or, or maybe not. You know, what are you up to? Uh, I work in aquatic biology um, on basic plant management is what I actually do. Um, dealing with a lot of uh, you know, um, you got a lot of vegetation that uh, is invasive to the waterways, and um, I'm dealing with that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, dealing with. Uh, some state park stuff and, you know, Phragmites and all those kind of invasives is what I do on a day-to-day. Um, it does allow for me to uh, have hunt season working in aquatics, um, so I love that aspect about it. And that's why you actually can see me doing a – I do a lot more video than just the average Joe just because uh, I kind of have that time, and uh, that's one of the aspects I like about being in aquatics. So. I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. And, you know, the frag, frag money, that stuff's terrible. Um, 
my in-laws live on Harsons Island, and that whole place is just overran with it. Uh, it maybe I have a, a question then for, for that. If you have some introduced to your back 40 somewhere, your pond or in your ditch along your road, you're starting to see it. What's the best way to, you know, eliminate that right off the bat? Um, it's, uh, you, uh, chemical treat. Um, okay. you want to use aquatic approved, um, anything that you're using on it. Um, and you want to do it in the fall. Uh, you don't want to cut it down. You want it to be established. Um, and you want to treat it in the fall. It will, uh, senesce and take its, uh, nutrients under its root system, um, in the fall. So you want to do it before the first frost. Um, and then, because when you get a huge patch of Phragmites, uh, the whole thing's one organism, and so if you can target one end of it and, and you know try to control it the most, you can you can get it pretty good. Usually, you can get about ninety percent, depending on the size of the stand in the first year, and then kind of clean it up the following year. But that winter, then you can go in and after the frost turns brown and senesces, you can you can cut it down, burn it, do what you need to do in that aspect of it, and then see what you got for regrowth the next year. So I've seen that stuff. I got hunt property where. That stuff is, it's just been, it's been crazy and taken over and it'll run cattails right out of an area and it, uh, it becomes a monoculture really quickly. Yeah, it's, no, it's absolutely terrible. And I see a lot of the, um, Native Americans who are on the Canadian side over there burn it big time. I'm talking, you know, hundreds and thousands of acres at a time. Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, that stuff burns hot too. Does it really? Yeah, I mean it's no. it's it's crazy. You'll slice your waders right open, duck hunting. I mean, cut your cut your hand or your boot no. open. It's, it's nuts. Um, do the wildlife use it much? I mean, any uh, idea found, on that? I found sheds um, and frag stands. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, if you listen to some other guys, uh, you know, on YouTube and stuff, they'll um, they'll talk about hunting frag stands and cattail stands and stuff like that, but. Um, I mean, the stuff can grow 15 foot tall and, you know, and overtake stuff, but um, it's, you know, deer obviously edge species, so um, it can create a new edge, but it can also, you know, start killing trees and start killing some of the other aspects of that you want in your area. Because um, it, it does grow in more moist areas, but you can see it, I mean, you can see it growing down the ditch of the side of the highway where it's not that wet most of the time. So that's why, you know, you see those signs that say, don't pick this down the side of the highway and then you see a car pulled over cut down a bunch of it to take home with the seed heads and then start spreading so jeez yeah no that's it's it's insane i saw it yeah i mean it's everywhere around you know it's not quite as bad as automobile at least as much as i see mm-hmm. along the highway but uh yeah i mean i, I was at northern cadillac this last weekend saw it up there so you see it down here it's crazy um yeah i just i know how bad it can spread so kind of scary to see uh, while we're on this little tangent i brought us on what else do you guys you know see as a big offender here in michigan uh and on the aquatic side well in the aquatics uh, i mean i dealt for quite a few years on dealing with you know individual ponds uh people dealing with ponds and and aspects like that and you know the pretty standard uh invasives are your eurasian water milfoil and currently pondweed if you're talking about standard bodies of water in michigan um, and just pretty standard stuff. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, let's get into the more meat and potatoes side of things. Uh, you mentioned, and I've, I've known this, that you go all over the place. You know, the, the Michigan Whitetail Pursuit on the road, 
season. That's a good way that that uh, MWP can kind of just break out of only Michigan videos because um, we all travel. I mean, most of us travel out of state anyway, so that's that's pretty awesome that they started doing that a few years back. Um, you know, I, I travel, Brian travels. Let's hear about maybe where you went last year just for – just for 2020 alone, like what'd you hit last year? Uh, so last year I had bought Indiana tag. Um, that's kind of my backyard. I actually closer to hunt Indiana than is my lease that I have down in this area. Um, Ohio, uh, quite a few trips to Ohio, including turkey hunting. Um, and then uh, also hunted uh, Kansas last year. I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, last year was Kansas, Indiana, Ohio. Um, year before that was, uh, I was all over. I would think I was in Nebraska, North Dakota, Kansas, Ohio, um, that year. But yeah, it just depends on the year and where I draw my tag. Um, and, uh, so it, uh, it basically all originated, uh, when I was in high school, started, we started hunting, um, uh, Canada. I went on the, really the only guided trip I ever went on, um, which, you know, in quote, unquote, you could say guided. Uh, basically they got a buck out in the middle of the woods and they drop you off and pick you up. And, uh, I, I shot a little eight point, um, up in the heart of Canada. We started doing our own thing up in Canada and, uh, you know, started to talk to locals and, um, we, we found a couple pieces of the lease and, uh, found uh, crown land to start to hunt. And we did that for a few years and they had a pretty big deer kill up there. And then, uh, I started, I'm like, there's, I was probably about 22 or so. And I said, there's got to be, there's got to be other options out there to do. And actually Ohio was uh, where I started to really do my research and really start to dig into hunting out of state. And now I, I can't get enough of it. I've, I've literally read probably every rule book for 15 different states and stay on top of all that kind of stuff. And I weigh in my options. I got states I want to go to, states I haven't been. Um, the problem is that sometimes you get into certain states and you, you get hung up on them because they're so good. Um, and you kind of start doing your thing there, but, uh, no, I, uh, I just kept plugging away and, um, started hunting all the states. So last year, Ohio went down turkey hunting, basically used that opportunity to shed hunt and scout for deer season. Went, made, uh, two trips down to Southern Ohio bow hunting. Um, and then uh, if I don't, if I haven't tagged out, I will, uh, I'll muzzle hunt um every year in ohio because we got a january muzzler season ohio and then uh actually i, I you, you probably saw it on our on our group page but uh, i was hunting january 28th bow hunting in ohio uh missed actually a giant and uh um kind of caught me off guard and i hit a hit a limb um and yeah my season that's one reason i like to hunt out of state is because you know i get more tags that way so yeah and and you know, Michigan, you know, after the lead starts flying, it's a little tougher anyways. So usually when when that happens here, most of Michigan's best hunting, I would say, is kind of behind us. And you just head down, you know, to another state, some of the rush is getting kicked in. Bow season's, you know, perfect mid-November. I mean, that's a great time to be out of state. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there, there was probably a string of about, well, actually, the last three years in Michigan, I've only I've only had a tag. This was the first year I had a tag going into the gun season. I tagged out three days in the gun season this year, and uh, I I usually plan my trips like this year. I should draw my Iowa tag. I'll be in Iowa. Like my plan is basically leave about November third, and I'm not coming home until I fill my tag. Um, 
So who knows how long that'll take. And then, and that's the other thing too, is that I kind of set up, I set up my seasons. Like I go to Kansas for, for gun season, um, which is beginning of December. It's a perfect time of the year. You know, things are kind of crazy here. It might be before our muzzleloader season here, if I still got a tag. Um, and then you got uh, Ohio muzzleloader, which is in January. It used to be in late December, but now it's in January. So that's an awesome time of year if you still got that tag in your pocket. And uh, so it just, yeah, it just sets up from uh, a couple years back, went North Dakota early. Uh, um, actually, was trying to chase some velvet deer and another buck I ended up shooting didn't even have his velvet on it but early September so I mean you you do things right you can deer hunt from September to February Ohio season I believe goes in the first week of February for archery so yeah I'm, I'm in the same boat but I'm a few years behind you I got two points for Iowa I've been building those the last couple of years and it sounds like you rattled off just about everywhere us whitetail hunters want to go is that kind of your outlook trying to stick with the with the better states or do you have uh some secondary reasons for picking you know kansas iowa ohio you threw indiana in there which is i think is kind of a sleeper state they've got some nice bucks there but is that yeah. kind of your thought process yeah and and that's well indiana is a lot because it's in my backyard here and uh so i've been scouting it. i've actually found you know almost two dozen sheds out there shed hunting it and last year i ran cameras and uh, but my motivation between picking the state is one, yeah, obviously I'm going to look at, uh, um, you know, the better better states to go and hunt. This will be my second trip to Iowa. Um, hopefully, if I draw this year. But uh, you know, I I agree. I think Indiana is a huge sleeper state. I think Oklahoma is one of those states that um, is way overlooked um, and has a lot of capability and possibilities out there, which I haven't gone to, but. Uh, I've done a lot of research on it, and you know those are that's one of the states in the future that I want to get to. Missouri, I have not been to. Um, I've actually had a couple things in plan to go. Kentucky um, is one that I really want to hit. Tennessee, um, those are kind of the things I've, I've actually I've told my wife, joked my wife about this. I, I want I want to hunt or fish in all 50 states, um, something. Uh, but uh, my my drive is whitetail deer hunting or. Um, when I'm in Nebraska, it's an either or. I shot a I shot a mule deer with my bow out in Nebraska. So, but deer hunting is kind of my uh, like everybody tries to get me into bear hunting or elk hunting, and I know I know I love elk hunting when I get into it. And uh, the plan is for next year to uh, possibly go to Colorado, but uh, I just have I haven't I haven't done that. I've been sticking with uh, whitetail deer hunting and mule deer hunting, and that's kind of my forte. Yeah, so for the tags for out of state, besides Iowa, uh, I believe Kansas is a draw state too, correct? Yeah, yep. Everywhere, um, I should say, the whole state is. The whole state is. There's some areas that, I mean, you can, and that's where, you know, doing your research comes into play. You, you can uh, you can figure out those uh, those areas that, you know, you can draw almost every year. It's not a guarantee. Um, I, I know a guy who, drew for five years straight and then didn't draw and it was blown away that he didn't draw and all of a sudden was scrambling but uh it, it uh um those are states uh you got your nebraska which is over the counter um for archery um and that's the other thing too is you know a lot of the spots if you're going archery it's a little bit easier to draw which actually is the opposite in iowa if you're going gun hunting in iowa you can draw a lot sooner um but yeah that uh that all comes into play with what what 
when I go look at things, whether it's uh, over the counter. I put in, I got points in everywhere. I don't know if some areas I'll cash them in or not, but that's uh, for about a week. I sit behind the computer and figure out where to put points in. And I've got, you know, Kentucky elk points and or applying for that 10 bucks a year, or whatever for the, the bull and just stuff like that. And keep plugging away and, uh, you know, all the things kind of come to play, but part of what I talk about in, in my book is, you know, talking about things like, you know, basically I already know what I'm going to pop basically do in 2022 and it's only 2021 and I haven't even put in for my Iowa point yet. Um, so planning, planning ahead, planning two, three years ahead is kind of the key name of the game. Yeah, that's good advice for sure. Uh, anybody that's thinking about starting to take some trips coming up, you know, you can't start planning too early, especially when it comes to points. And it's it's not getting any easier, and it's it's not getting any uh, better odds. So it's it's definitely now is the right time to start if you're going to think about it. Yeah, um, Kansas Kansas is already come and gone for application right now, and Iowa's just starting, which I really don't want to tell too many people about. But <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the hard thing is trying to figure all that all out and figure out where you want to go and and get in the game plan. Not everywhere is over the counter. Not everyone wears uh, same archery season, same you know gun season as your home state. Um, you know the ins and outs between the rule book is just insane. Um, and then the other thing is just trying to decide what season you're going to go. If you're if you're going archery, obviously you got a lot more opportunity on length of season usually. But then it all comes into play and in how you're going to hunt, what kind of food sources you're looking at, bedding areas, you know, all that kind of comes into play. Our, our crops cut, our crops standing. Because um, when I go and do this stuff, 80, 90% of the time I'm on public land. Um, every once in a while, like in Nebraska, I got a friend of the family that, you know, he's got 300 acres in Nebraska, which 300 acres in Nebraska is, you know, like having a nice 80-acre, 40-acre piece right, of Michigan. Right. It, it's not that big. So we, we venture out, and we do a lot of public land hunting when we're out there. Um, but that's the other thing I talk about, too, is, uh, you know, it's always talking talking to people. Uh, last time I was in Iowa, I, uh, I hit a deer on public. It ran onto uh, private, which in Iowa you can actually leave your weapon behind and track a wounded deer without getting permission. Well, I'm from Michigan. That's not legal here. And to me, it just didn't seem right. So I ended up tracking down the homeowner. Um, and, uh, ran into another guy while I was trying to track down the homeowner. The guy's like, you know, you don't, don't have to do that. And I said, yeah, I know, but it feels like the right thing to do is what I want somebody else to do if I was, they were coming on my property. And, uh, he goes, you seem like a good guy. I've got 150 acres. You can come hunt in Iowa whenever you want. So, I mean, just talking, uh, it, it, it blew me away because it, it never happened that way. But now I've had it happen. I've had it happen in Kansas. I've got a guy who, let us hunt in like an extra 200 acres and he knows everybody in the town where we're hunting and he said he can get us more access to some private areas and uh um even though we've had some great success out in Weehaw out in Kansas um you know all those all those things to have in your back pocket is is key I mean it just gives you more diversity to to jump around and hunt different things so yeah you can never have too many spots and too many opportunities that's for darn sure oh never uh, I like your approach about seeking out the landowner, even if you didn't have to legally. That's that's when we get into the what's legal and what's the right thing to do. They're not always the same, and, and kudos to you for taking that higher road on that. 
Yeah, and it, it it came back full circle where I ended up getting access to another 150 acres um, where we went back and hunted in December. And uh, the guy actually reached out to me last year and asked if I was coming out to Iowa to hunt. And I'm like, uh, I, I'm not. I didn't draw this year. <laughs> but, you know, hang on to my number. I'll be calling you next year, hopefully. So, um, yeah, just, you know, that's, you know, doing the right thing is doing the right thing when no one's watching. That's that's the right thing. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. So kind of walk us through once you decide what state you're going to go to. And if you're going to end up on public, let's start there. How, how do you determine what piece of public you're going to start looking at? Do you do a lot of e-scouting first or do you try to find a spot away from uh, crowded city areas or what's your, what's your approach to that? Yeah. So, so if I get in my head where I'm going to go somewhere, um, Kansas, for instance, I, I got it in my head, got it with a buddy, told him, you know, he said, I'm in, just give me the details. And it took two years. Um, took two years to actually iron out all those details. Uh, one thing I do whenever I'm looking at any state is first I read the rule book, cover to cover. Um, and you still don't understand 80% of it after you do that. Um, so you got to continue. I always call the DNR. Um, you know, that's what they're there for. They're there to help you. They're here, they're to direct you. Some are rude, some, you know, chew you away. And uh, I had, I actually had a DNR officer in um, Ohio start emailing me. He gave me a bunch of maps and um, told me a bunch of stuff. And the guy was awesome. Um, so I kind of start there. Um, one of the things I key into is what I'll usually do is I will go to that state and look up the big buck county. Um, areas where the biggest bucks get record books um, for that state. Now, with that being said, I don't usually go to that county. Um, I usually go outskirts, um, look a few counties around that area, um, the ones that aren't really targeted most. And then that's where I kind of start going into what public plans are in that area, what's available around that area. and that's, so that's kind of how I go about my, my public land. If I, if I get into a situation, um, I've done this in Ohio. I love doing it. I guided. Um, and then uh, back when I first kind of started looking out of state, I actually had an outfitter key me in on a lot of good information. Um, and he told me that these outfitters, especially in Ohio, said they lease a lot of pieces of property. A lot of them are a long ways away from the cabins, away from the lodge. Um, you know, they don't get a lot of clientele, but they've got to make sure that they have land that, you know, in their, their back pocket, you know, you know, they don't, they don't turn down an opportunity to lease a new piece of land if it's a good piece of property to have in their back pocket. Well, a lot of times these pieces don't get hunted that all that often and uh, an outfitter doesn't turn down money too often, but you've got to be willing to walk away too. So usually what I'll do is I'll contact an outfitter. And be like, look, I don't want you to hang a set. I don't want you to do any scouting for me. I don't need you to do lodging. I don't need you to do food. I want to know how much for, you know, two to four guys to hunt that piece of property for this week. Um, And they'll usually come hit me with a pretty high number. And I'll tell them we're not on the same page. But I said, you know, hey, if you don't have anybody for that week and you want to make an extra thousand bucks, if I got four guys, 250 bucks a guy, you know, let me know. I've had it where the guys had, didn't even get off the phone call, or, and they're like, you know what, fine, let's do it. Um, and cool. and you, you got to be willing to walk away, just like with any negotiation, and you got to be willing to hunt in some harder times. Um, after uh, Ohio muzzleloader season, 
is a great time to hit up an outfitter and see if you can lease some property from them because after muzzler season, they're done. And if you if you get four guys together, you know, throw 700, 800 bucks at them, um, you can lock up a nice piece of property. And if you're willing to, you know, stay in an outfitter tent like I've done quite a bit or sleep in the back of your truck, I mean, you can do those hunts for, you know, four or 500 bucks um, and, uh, and nice. be really, real successful too. Now, Blake, when you're, when you're, I guess, honing in, so say you, you pick a state or two and you're honing in, um, you, you find the, the county with the big bucks. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what next? I mean, there's got to be some sort of habitat features or food or cover or something that you're you're looking to next or you're just trying to get away from the people. Um, you know, it, it may be only May here in Michigan, um, not quite hunting season yet, but like Brian said, we got to start thinking about this stuff now, right? I mean, it'll be here before we know it, so... Fill us in on, I guess, where you go from there. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, all those things kind of come into play. Um, A lot of it comes down to what type of season you're going. So if I'm going early season, if I'm going pre-rut, September, you know, I'm looking for food sources, uh, places where they're going to be bedded, uh, thick areas close to water, especially like North Dakota. It was hot. And, you know, you want a water store somewhere close. Um, you're looking at for those food sources and those thick bedding areas and you're trying, I end up shooting my buck really, really close to a bedding area, um, under some pin oak, um, and that I, I basically crawled down into this area and I end up shooting him at about nine, 10 yards. And, uh, and I had a couple of little bucks walk right by me, but that was all about, you know, keying in on that. And that, that was a hunt that basically I didn't really key into the habitat before I left. I did, you know, I did obviously some aerial onyx, um, you know, searching online and, and looking at that. Um, but that was more when I get there. And that's one thing I, I do talk about quite a bit is you go on a week hunt or a five-day hunt, it's so easy just to run out into the woods, throw your stand up, and you want to be hunting immediately. And you you lose out on so much without taking that step back on that first day, taking a breath, really keying in and being flexible throughout your whole hunt. Because if you if you get locked in to one one idea, one set, you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail more times than not. And there's so many times where I go on a hunt and I've got in my head this is how I'm gonna hunt and it's completely different when I get out there. And if I didn't adapt, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have succeeded. Actually Kansas last year was a great example. We had been, I'd been successful. I shot a 160 and a 140 and my buddy shot a, a 170 frame ended up scoring in the 150 because it had all, both his brow kinds busted and another time busted. So we had had great success in Kansas. We went out there last year, COVID, everybody was hunting. It was, we were in areas that we had never seen anybody the years before. And there was two, three vehicles in all these spots. It was just overwhelming. And we had to, we had to adapt. Um, we had, I ended up driving an hour and a half from where we were staying. And we, I mean, where we killed, where I killed my deer on the last day, it was, it's got over 40 inches of mass and it was, I was a miracle, but I busted for seven straight days and, uh, there wasn't a tree in the area. I mean, there wasn't a tree for five miles and we completely had to adapt to what we were doing and we had to get to an area where there was no one else. So looking for, you know, 
that 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 was kind of what we keyed in on. It was all these other people were hunting these river bottoms, and it was getting overwhelmed, and so they were hunting that tree. We we started looking for CRP fields, um, you know, things next to cut cornfields um, on the Weehaw, um, just things that everybody was overlooking. And uh, that's just that's just kind of my that's my main advice is always be flexible when you go on those hunting trips. No, very good advice. I think. Um... You know, you see a river bottom in Kansas, most guys are going to jump right down there, um, at least check it out. And with COVID, I can't, I can't imagine how busy it was. I believe that all day. Um, you're the second person I heard. I listened to Jared Scheffler talk about Kansas as well, and he, he said the exact same thing you just said, so that makes sense to me. Um, what about, what about states like Ohio? When you're in Ohio, are, what, are you doing, what are you doing there? Because the hills there keep some people – from going certain places too. So how's that work down there? Yeah, so Southern Ohio is, is awesome. Um and uh it can be it can be insane where you go you go, you know, you, mo- most of the time you can't get that far from a road anyways, but um right. you know, you get back a mile and then all of a sudden you you see four guys and you're like, "All right, what's what's going on here?" and you see a bunch of stands, but um Ohio, like like I said, it it, it comes down to the season. So when um, when I, when I'm down there during rut, you know, I'm looking for these pinch points. I'm looking for these saddles, um, you know, in, in the mountains, I'm looking for those areas that those bucks are cruising to scent check. I, I, you know, food sources really aren't coming super into play. I'm looking for that doe bedding area and looking where that buck's going to cruise and use that wind to my advantage. Um, when I go down there, muzzle hunt is completely different. Um, I'm looking for actually one of the, one of the things I do when I go to Ohio when I'm on a little hunt is basically I drive around all the private and I don't look at the public until I find what I like on the private. And then I figure out where the public is that butts up closest to it and where that bedding area is. And I've had where um, I actually had a buddy, I videotaped this hunt. Um, they were bedding on private and they were cutting the corner to public um, by about 200, 300 yards to go back onto a cut cornfield on private. And we ended up killing this deer at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, we got back on the spot real late, and uh, it was actually getting up to shift on the hillside because of the sun because it was so brutally cold that year. But there was a, a, a really intense bedding area on private. The night before, we saw seven deer down there, and three of them were bucks, and they were on private only at about 100 yards away. And there was nothing we could do about it. There was about 45 minutes left of daylight, and they were still bedded. And then um, they would come out, and they'd be in that um, cornfield. So that's one of my kind of things that I do and that I always tell people, just because you're hunting public don't does not mean you can't look at the private that's around that area. Driving around them roads and seeing what kind of deer there are, um, that's actually how I end up killing. I killed a 6x6, six 12-point six, uh, buck in Ohio with my bow, and – I drove around for two hours looking at private and there was a draw on a cut cornfield that the combine was still parked in. So they just cut it and it funneled right up through a draw onto the public. And uh, me and my buddy went there. He had two opportunities at two different bucks. I let him shoot first and then uh, he botched the first one. I ended up killing a a six by six at like 11 o'clock in the afternoon. And then the next day he actually missed another one too. Um, but uh, it was a it was a buck cruising area on that scent check and that doe bedding area off that food source. So it, it all comes down into 
looking for what habitat is going to fit your season um, that you're hunting because, you know, pre-rut and rut and post-rut are all completely different than what you're actually keying in on. No, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I was just going to gonna get to that, but you just nailed it. Um, so early season, even really no matter where you're at, you're looking for, you know, attractive food sources. Is that that's what you said, right? Is there anything yep. else early season that habitat-wise you'd focus on? Maybe water as well. It's kind of obvious, I guess, if it's hot. Um, and then you got the rut or November. You're in the, the pinches, funnels, you know, saddles, um, just terrain features that funnel the deer down. That makes sense. Is there any sort of stem density that you're looking for in terms of thickness, thickets, cover, um, when you're out of state like this? I know Michigan, we have to find the thickest stuff possible and hunt, you know, hunt in and around it. At least that's, that's what I try to do. What about when you're in some of these other states? Are you seeing a commonality there, or what are you seeing? Yeah, actually, uh, Ohio, um, the first time I ever went down there, it, it, uh, it was, it's, you know, it touches Michigan, but it's still such a different aspect. The first time I went down to Ohio, I was hunting, uh, um, at least, uh, a Boy Scout property um, to hunt for a week. And you get in there and you'd have wide open, you know, old growth um, going on. And, um, you know, you see a few deer cutting through or whatnot, but on those outskirts, you see that undergrowth, that really dense, thick, uh, gnarly undergrowth. And if you got on those heavy trails and that, that's where, that's where we ended up. My dad and I both shot a really nice buck that year. And it was on those edges of that. Um, looking for that thick cover and I took that key to anytime I go down there and hunt public as well um, hunting last January I think it was January 28th last year when I missed that big buck on public in Ohio I uh, I got into the thickest I knew there was a thick bedding area from old scouting in this area and there was uh, their DNR plants a lot of food sources a lot of uh, cover crops and stuff for the winter down there and I got right on the edge of some of the thickest stuff, and I just slid in with wind in my favor and sat off that. I actually, I was just happy to be out because it was end of January, but and I was stunned that the only deer I came out was about a hundred. It was about a hundred twenty five, hundred and thirty inch buck um, that came out, and what he was, he was bedded right there. He was waiting about five minutes till dark. He was going to come out and he was going to feed there. So looking for that thick, thick cover and that that stem density, yeah, absolutely um, plays a big role. Now you get out into you know. Nebraska and uh, Kansas and parts of Wyoming. I mean, uh, that doesn't mean much. You're looking for, you know, cuts and draws and stuff. True. Okay. No, that's awesome. More great advice. And then, uh, like you said, the late season, sticking with the stem density, um, are you finding, again, food becomes important then, right? What would you say you're focusing on in, in January? I mean, that's that's got to be some tough hunting. Um in terms of habitat, you know, where, where are you at? Yeah, so, like, if you're talking food sources, you know, obviously you you, you got to cut cornfields. That, uh, that that guy who gave me property, uh, let me hunt his property in Iowa, we went back in December. And so this year I'm supposed to draw my Iowa tag, but it's a redemption year for me. I, I hunted Iowa, and uh, I I missed uh, I missed quite a few opportunities I'm uh, not too proud of, um, but it was the most amazing hunt I've ever done. I can't wait to get back, but... Um, that guy had a cut cornfield. They said their combine broke. They had to use old equipment, and it looked like somebody had walked around with shell corn over about 80-acre cut cornfield. And there was 
60 to 90 deer in the field every single night. And that was actually really hard to hunt with wind um, and two guys. It was, it was really tough. But, um, you know, the, the one thing is, is, too, is you get down in some of those spots in, like, southern Ohio and stuff, you don't have a lot of those food crops um, in those hills and stuff. So you're looking at browse. You know, you're looking at the clear cuts um, where you've got that low browse. And, um, you know, you walk around and you can see – you can tell if there's a lot of deer in that area or not just by looking at that that browse and if they're nipped. Um, you know, if you had a good acorn season, there still could be possible acorns on the ground in certain areas. You know, uh, you got uh, North Dakota. Um, we keyed in on uh, the oaks out there, and uh, um, I'm pretty sure they're pin oaks. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm from Michigan. I don't know really, and but I just keyed in and. I literally walked up on two does just crunching away about midday in a shadowy spot right off the bedding area. And that's kind of what keyed me in out there was just that food source. So that's what I mean is, you know, early season to late season, you got that, that big shift on it and take advantage of any of those public pieces. Uh, Indiana's really good at what kind of crops they plant um, around, especially in certain areas. Their, their DNR is, it's, it's pretty impressive actually. Ohio is pretty good. Southern, you get down to southern Ohio, there's not as many of those crops on that public land, but uh, northern Ohio, there's quite a few. So when you're going to these different places out of state, are you kind of taking the properties as they are and what they give you, or are you using any other tactics? Um, I know some states you can bait in, a lot of places you can't on public land. Uh, stuff like mock scrapes or, or trying to come up with any type of way to – swing the property in your favor or you just take it as is uh for you know obviously i'm going to use any tactic that is available to me um i don't really know that i don't think there's any uh property that i've or public land that i've gone to that we could bait um iowa I had I didn't hunt Iowa without a without a um a buck decoy the entire time I was there um which is, was just amazing so I'm using that kind of tactic out there you know rattling grunting all that kind of stuff um Kansas is more run and gun I am I have not archery hunted Kansas I've only gun hunted it because of the timing of the year with it being December how it fits in so nicely with my seasons so that's more of a run and gun but the one thing that we shifted there was we were um, basically just just putting miles on every single day, you know, 15 to 20 miles every single day. Whereas last year, if we did that, you ran into 80 hunters throughout a day. And uh, so we ended up uh, kind of hunkering in and, and uh, you know, it, it was pretty amazing hunting grasslands where you, you're like, there's no deer here. And then all of a sudden you see 30 deer at night. Yeah. Um, it's just, it blows you away, but, uh, just basically using those type of tactics, um, Ohio, even when, uh, even when I do get at least some of those public lands, cause you can bait on in Ohio. Um, the only time I've actually baited is a couple, uh, like one muzzleloader season. Um, we did a little bit of it and we actually didn't have much success on it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not opposed to using any tactic that I can. Um, as long as it's legal and what I'm doing, but most public land, it doesn't really cross me much because most of the time I always have public land in my back pocket. So I'm always using those type of tactics on, you know, just keying in on the deer. And it just goes back to 
not locking in. If you're sitting in the spot, like Canada is different. You go to Canada, you can sit for two days. You can be in the spot and not see a deer, but you are in the spot you need to be. But if you go to Ohio and you don't see deer for two days, you're not in the right spot. You need to, you need to get moving. You need to do something different. So it just all kind of depends on where you're at. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, just some more uh, tips and, and tricks there for the decoy that you mentioned. How are you employing that, and uh, what times of year are you using the decoy? Cause we, we haven't touched on that much at all. Yeah. Um, so I always say that in Iowa, um, deer actually act how deer are supposed to act. Um, whereas everywhere else you you hunt pressured deer, um, which is crazy because it's still hunt public land out there. And, uh, yeah, basically if I had a hike way back in, I was using Montana decoy, um, you know, throwing the backpack, pop it up when I got out there. And, uh, I never, I never really, I've hunted with decoy and stuff, but I never had interactions. I never had a spike come in lay his lay his ears back, brussel off his hair on the back of his neck and knock my Montana decoy right off its stakes. Um, you know, I've had those at 15 yards and um, had a four-point mount, one of our uh, normal decoys, and knock the legs right off of it. And, uh, you know, um, you get the bigger bucks to come in there and circle it. And, of course, you're looking to get them in with an arrow before they get to the decoy. But um, those type of – that type of action, you know, you're just looking to get that deer's attention. Um, I hit a really nice buck, and that's why I talked about redemption for Iowa this year. Um, I hit a really nice buck, um, came in at about 11 o'clock to my decoy off of a, a, a private piece. Um, and this is the guy who I, one of the guys that I talked to that I hit the deer and it ran on. And uh, I hit this buck in the leg. I hit him just a little bit far forward and had a blood trail. Trailed him for quite a ways. Um, I was just about ready to give up and ended up finding him in his bed and uh, put a stalk on him. And I I got within 12 yards, uh, grunted him, stood him up, and put an arrow, and I ran it right into him. And I I, I would have told you it was the best shot I could have possibly done. And uh, there was blood everywhere. He ended up bustling down a mountain side, and uh, – um, we hiked back uh, to get to the spot, had across the river, put on waders across the river. So we hiked back. Um, we we ditched all our stands and everything, and we went in there after this deer, and he hit the private land. We backed out and got a hold of the landowner, went after him. And uh, um, the landowner told me, you know, he'll keep his eye open for the rest of the year. We, we tracked the thing. The landowner let us come in, track him all over. We ended up tracking about 300 yards to a bed, a bloody bed, and not a drop after that. Um, the landowner ended up contacting me in February, told him, told me he talked to a trapper who found uh, a really nice dead slick eight point in the river there. And uh, that was the end of that story. And I, wow. I, didn't, I didn't fill my tag in Iowa that year. So that's why I can't wait to get back. But no, using a decoy, it's, uh, you know, if you got the right situation, it's, it's beautiful. So do you find that some of those tactics – work better in certain states and maybe not so in others. And, of course, me being in Pennsylvania and you in Michigan, we see how some of this stuff backfires on us because there's so much pressure and so many guys might be rattling too much or whatever. But have you found that to be the case in other states and some things work better than other states? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I uh, I got back from Iowa, and I was so geeked up about the decoy hunting and everything. I, 
I ran out to my spot in Michigan, threw my decoy up, and pretty sure I scared to death a year and a half old six point, and he freaked out, and he literally ran 300 yards away and stomped and blew, even though the wind was in the right direction. Everything was – it just – it just – it didn't work. Um, and uh, – yeah. um, the the only the only time I've had success in high pressure areas rattling, um, I, I've had success just about everywhere grunting. That's just one of the things I always keep in my back pocket no matter what. But um, rattling in Michigan, honestly, the only time I've had real good success is early season um, when bucks are just sparring, playing around. Um, that's when I've had good success. Uh, during rut, um, I I lay low. I mean, I've I've watched guys neighbors you know rattle 10 o'clock they're getting ready to get down they hit the horns together for four minutes throw some grunts out and then they climb down 15 minutes after which that's the other thing too is i mean you do some rattling in iowa man just i would say probably 80 percent of the time you hit the horns together you've got a buck coming in um, whether it be a shooter or not don't know but um that's that's kind of the beauty there so yeah absolutely um ohio works um especially when you get in certain areas i've had it work um that's why ohio is one of those spots that is a gem and it was more of a gem about six seven eight years ago um but it's not a secret anymore and uh some of those areas that's i i've given up on uh the spot where i shot that 12 point i don't i don't hunt that spot anymore i've seen rvs parked there now uh, campers and and whatnot and so i've been trying to venture out and get even uh try to get more remote and I like the challenge too of you know just going to a new spot and just trying to unlock it whether whether you only get on a you know a nice you know big two and a half year old or three and a year old it's the it's that challenge of trying to unlock something new and and I haven't shot a deer actually in Ohio I think in six years um and uh that's uh but it's one of the places I kind of don't like to shoot because I can hunt it till February Right. So I kind of keep that. If I end the season with my Ohio tag in my back pocket, that means I hunted all season long. So, great points, great points. And yeah, I, I mean, you're not the only one who hasn't shot a buck in Ohio in a while. I think Brian and I are both on that list as well. And then you can chalk me up on your Iowa redemption list. Once those suckers lay down, and that blood stops, it's tough after that, buddy. I hear you there. That's exactly what happened to me. Um, kind of. Kind of on that same idea there that Brian just went down the road with those tactics in different states. I got kind of a like rapid fire for you, and I didn't warn you about this, so I apologize. But I have a feeling Very you'll good. be all right. Um, I wanted. I'm thinking your your go to spot in terms of habitat or terrain in your top five states, say. So, you know, if you want to hit maybe Iowa, Ohio. Michigan, Indiana, or in, in another one, Nebraska, or wherever. Let's hear about if you were out there first week in November, um, last week in October. It seems to be a pretty popular time. Where would you be at? I mean, t- describe the area a little bit, whether, you know, CRP or, or Acorn Ridges or whatever that would be. Um, give us your top five. So let's, let's maybe start with uh, Iowa. Where would you be in Iowa? Iowa, uh, first and foremost, most remote spot I can. Uh, deer population out there is insane, so you're gonna find you're gonna find good bucks anywhere. But then, once I get to that remote area, I'm looking for that bedding area. I'm looking for that that bedding area on top of a mountain, um, those side hills. 
um, where uh, those does are bedded. Um, that's where you're going to kill. That's where I'm going to run into those bucks midday cruising. Um, you know, as much as you love hunting, you know, early mornings and, you know, late evenings, man, 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock, that's where you're going to kill that big buck cruising. Um, and that's so Iowa, that's where I'm looking. I'm looking for those bill bedding areas up high, uh, remote areas, um, getting way back in away from anybody else hunting. Okay, and, and this might backfire on me. Is, is Ohio the same thing? It sounds very similar to what I would do in Ohio. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, um, you know, uh, more so uh, same thing, basically. I mean, a lot of the area that I'm hunting in Iowa, you, a lot of people think, uh, you know, cut cornfields. And, sure, sure. And, and But the area I'm hunting, I'm hunting a lot more mountainous area, and it's a lot like southern Ohio. So a lot of those tactics transfer over, which – Deer population is a lot better in Iowa than it is in Southern Ohio, um, so yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking for those same tactics. If, when I'm hunting that that uh, late October, early November, I'm looking for those cruising spots, and that's what I'm really going to key in on. Okay, how about like Nebraska? Where are you going to be in Nebraska? What type of habitat are you going to be sitting in? River bottoms, um, river bottoms, uh, secluded pines uh, or cedars. Um, you know, um, any type of uh, dense CRP fields. Um, a lot of those, you got to dodge pheasant hunters when you get out there, depending on the time of year you're out there. Um, so those, uh, those secluded areas that are overlooked by anybody else that's got a, a string and bow or arrow and, uh, um, in, in their quiver and they're, they're, those guys are hanging stands and hunting those river bottoms really hard. But if you find one of those river bottoms that's not getting hit hard, there's bucks cruising. There's the bucks pushing does in that time of the year. But with that being said, too, you find some of them CRP fields. It's amazing what kind of cut and draws um, you can find. It looks like it's flat and there's nothing there, but you get back there and there's, you know, 15-foot cuts and draws back in these CRP fields, and they're bedding along the edges of it. And you, you can crawl back in there, um, get set up, and you can just watch deer all day long. Nice. So you're saying, like, like there's like a ditch or a drainage or something in the middle of a CRP field. No, no trees per se, but uh, maybe there are some. But you're saying just the terrain enough can hide you up on top while you watch what works in and out of those. Yeah, and uh, you know doing your doing your e scouting, looking at Onyx. I mean, I spend hours doing that. Um, I'm looking at that topo um, and and looking for that. And a lot of times that that cut and that draw doesn't even show up on those topos because it's so minuscule. But you can see, if you look at that aerial and dissect that, you can see a, something's going on in certain areas, and you can drive by the road, and there can be, there can be a, a giant laying down in that ditch, and you have no idea because you can't even tell that that dip's there unless you get out and walk it. Um, some of the best areas in Kansas is because we're like, this looks terrible. All right, let's spend a half hour here and walk it, and we end up running in some really nice bucks because there's those spots that nobody looks at. So that, that, that topography is really key to look at um, when you're hunting those flat, wide-open areas. Awesome. Awesome. And how about let's wrap it up with, with Michigan or a state like Michigan uh, with, with heavy pressure, whether it's New York, PA. Like, where are you going for prime time, end of October, early November here in Michigan? I know Southern Michigan, um, you, you're probably a little like me. you got some flatter ground, some woodlots, some cornfields. Where are you setting up? 
A lot of it, well, I mean, like my lease, I've only got, um, you know, I talk about I got a lease in southern uh, Michigan, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, you got tons of bucks to chase and whatnot. (laughs) I've got 35 acres of wood lot. I mean, it's not, it's nothing crazy. Um, And so a lot of it is, I I learned a long time ago in Michigan to hunt the hunters, um, to pattern the hunters on the other, the properties around me. Um, and once I did that, I figured out where the deer were. Um, cause I mean, I've got my, well, my one property in Kent County that I always hunt. Um, did the deer know the stands haven't moved on my neighbor's property in 15 years? Um, the deer know where they are. And I watch them come in, scent check that stand on my property. And if the guy's hunting, they, you know, I know where they're going. And, um, in the last two years in Mich or, uh, last three years in Michigan, uh, last year, my two bucks I killed in Michigan. I hung the stand four days before I killed them. Um, I, I, you know, I love going in September and hanging my sets and, and getting things set up, but those are never permanent. They, uh, you know, those I, I, I bump and move and, and nonstop. And I killed both my bucks last year, uh, hung a set and killed the bucks out of them four days later. No, hey, well done, man. You know, I'm, I'm impressed. I've obviously seen the videos. We're, you know, we're both on the MWP team mm-hmm. here, but, um, yeah, you you get after it and way to handle that uh, rapid fire question there, questionnaire there. That worked out well. So nice work on that, Blake. Now we got one question that we like to ask everybody, and I'm sure you know what's coming if you heard of this. Yep. What is your favorite tree? It could be for hunting out of. It could be to look at. It could be just something you like to look at in the yard. Um. So. I grew up hunting in Nuego County, uh, family farm or family property, cabin area. Um, you give me a big old beech tree, um, you can do so much with it. It's like hunting out of a deer blind. Um, you can you sit in different pieces of it nonstop. Uh, I, I love, I mean, you could be six feet off the ground in some of them big beech trees, and uh, it's just, it's like hunting out of a, a redneck blind, some of them that I've been in. So uh, that that's that's my favorite. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, if you're talking hunting wise and what you're looking for, I'm looking for them oaks and and whatnot. But yeah, if you give me a uh, even down here in southern Michigan, we've got a we've got actually my stand was stolen last year out of a big beech tree that I had. Uh, ended up tracking it back down. But you give me a big beech tree, I can put up a set in there and and feel like I can you know you can do jumping jacks up in that thing and not get picked off by deer. I love them. Yeah, great answer. I think uh, Chad last week, Brian from Exodus, he also had a, a beech tree, but it was a, a different version. It was more of a lone beech tree on a on a bench in southern Ohio. You know, an attractive scrape tree type. So that's super interesting. And I yeah. think all, all the cover there. I want to hear about how you tracked your stand back down. Um, so <laughs> that, that, that's actually on the lease, and uh, I, I went in with my daughter. We actually posted a video of, you know, prep last year with me and my daughter. I let her run the camera. She's really good behind it. And uh, we went in. We hung the set. We hiked all the way back because, like I said, it's only 35 acres. We got to go through this, you know, 200-acre cornfield, get all the way in the back. It was hot. We hung the sand, got it all set up, hung a couple cameras around the surrounding areas, waited about three weeks, slid back in there. <laughs> my stand was gone. Um, and it was brand new stand and everything. Well, the, the neighbor, which there's a two track that 
somewhat separates the, the the property lines, which the two track is on our property. I mean, I, I there's a fence post, everything. It's on our property, but the people who have been hunting next to us really hadn't been seen anybody else and they were driving down that two track thought just assumed it was on their property and yanked it well we ended up making a few phone calls tracked it down did get it back um they were really cool about it we ended up talking later in the year with wounded deer they hit one and came on ours we hit one ran on theirs um so it did it ended up in the long run opened up conversation talking to your neighbors you know being on the same page doing the right thing um which you know, I've never, I've never honestly ever touched anything of anybody's out in the woods. The only time, I, even when it's on my property, I've taken it down and put it at the base of the tree and put a note on them for them to call me. I've never taken anybody's stand ever, not once. And I was just blown away. I mean, I've had my stand stolen on Ohio public land numerous times. Um, but yeah, to have it stolen off my own lease, uh, I was, I was pretty blown away, but happy to track it back down. No, that's awesome, and it kind of, you know, rings true to a message we've we've said a lot in the past is, you know, get a hold of your neighbors, have that open line of communication. You know, you never know what, what they're thinking. They might think you're the a-hole shooting all the spikes, and you might think the same, and, you know, it, and then, you know, you find out none of that's true. So it's very, very important uh, lesson there you, you reminded me of. So way to get that back, and uh, good job getting your daughter out there, too. I'm a big fan of that, so. Now, Blake, I want to do, uh, give you a chance here. You wrote a book, my man. You wrote a book. Good for you. Um, it's on Amazon. Let's hear about the book um, and, and how people can find it. And, uh, yeah, man, tell us about it. Plug it. Yeah, like I, like I told you, it's all about the side hustle and uh, what you do <laughs> on here, do any downtime. So, anyways, I've been wanting to write this. And uh, between COVID last year, you know, and not seeing anybody or whatnot, I, I had been working on this for quite a while and I ended up uh, hammering it out but basically uh, I, I had an article published a few years back about how to do a little you know scouting out of state and stuff and I was I just I just took that and ran with it and so basically it, it breaks down what I do what I look for the stages I go through when I'm going to hunt somewhere new out of state um, even right down to uh, who you hunt with uh, how many hunters you hunt with and why um, you know, and then, uh, the thing is, 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 uh, um, the, uh, the stories that go along with it. Um, and I talked about, you know, you might go out like my hunt to Iowa. I didn't shoot, I didn't tag a deer that year. Um, still one of the greatest hunts I've ever been on. Um, it was, it was amazing. I want to trade it for everything I've learned and I did out there. And so, you know, a lot of that goes hand in hand. And I, and I talked about, you know, um, ways to be successful but not to not to uh not to judge your success on whether you fulfill your tag or not um i i always i talk about in my book is you know one of the things that i view a successful hunt is is one guy in my party has a great opportunity at a nice animal um that's a successful hunt for me um especially when i do it i mean the book's called uh, the non-resident hunter um how to destination deer hunt um on a budget and that's that's uh basically Long time ago, my wife told me I could do any hunt trip I wanted as long as it didn't come out of our savings account. And so I, I've ran with that and kind of uh, took that to the extreme now. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the side hustle pays for, you know, other hunt trips and tags. And uh, that's where that's where all my money goes to is uh, just paying, paying the non-resident tags. Um, 
So, and then I talk about, you know, lodging, what you're willing to do, you know, it, you know, I'm getting older now and sleeping in the back of the truck isn't as fun as it used to be about five, six years ago. Um, I do got an outfitter tent. Um, and so we'll, we'll use that from time to time. Um, my, uh, my brother-in-law and I are heading down to Ohio here in a few weeks to go turkey hunting. Um, I think next weekend we're going to go down and we are, we're, we're going to camp. And I mean, uh, one of the, the hunt that I shot that uh, 12 point in Ohio, I spent $350 tag included. That was when Ohio's tag was still 149. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I, uh, we, we did food camp. We hunted for four straight days. We had three opportunities between two of us um, and uh, tagged one deer. And uh, it, it was unbelievable. And um, I, I, uh, long time ago i was watching you know like any of us i watched a hunt show on tv and it was, you know it's supposed to be like some blue collar guys hard working guys like us and uh you know they're going on these hunts and i i looked up the hunt and this guy shoots a you know an african ibex something in minnesota on a cut cornfield i look it up it's a fifteen thousand dollar hunt and i'm like Good, that's not Jeez. that's not that's not feasible man like no. that's that's not that's not what i do that's not how i want to do it and I wanted to share my stories on how I do it. And the one thing I talked about, you know, if you're that guy who goes on those outfitter hunts and and you pay top dollar, good for you. You're you're yeah, on you're absolutely. you're on the same you're on the same team we are. We're all hunters. We're all on the same team. Um, at the same time, it's not in my budget. That's not that's not what I want to do. Um, I like the challenge of I you know, just because I go on a trip and I I don't tag is it, it's not a failure. Uh, by any means and uh, um, I've had a lot of success and I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of success but um, there's a lot of those you know those learning curves that come with uh, those failures and and how fun it is I mean some of the some of the worst hunt trips you go on can still be some of the most fun you have but um, talk about just working hard and and staying after it and really uh, you know giving it your all you know don't just don't just think you're going hunting out of state that you're going to see, you know, you're going to Lee, T, uh, Tiffany and Lee Lakowski's private ranch and, you know, you're going to, you're just going to see buck after buck and decide which one you want to shoot because that's not how it happens. Um, but uh, just know the harder you work, the more successful you're going to be. Yeah, no, I did. You, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, and I appreciate that. I think uh, for, for $12.99 paperback or $5.99 Kindle, that's affordable too. Um, awesome. I'm I'm proud of you for doing that. That's that's very cool. And I'll put the link to this book in the show notes of this episode, guys. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, all you have to do is scroll down and hit the Amazon link and take it right there. So I appreciate that. Of course, man. Of course, that's what we're here for. And uh, you know, thank you for coming on. Um, great episode. Honestly, very impressed. So. Appreciate you hopping on here last minute like this, and uh, dude, yeah, love, to have, love, to have you, love to have you on here again. Um, really do appreciate it. So That's thanks awesome. a lot, Blake. Yeah, anytime, guys. I, you know, like I said, uh, sometimes you gotta make me shut up talking deer hunting, and uh, I could go for days. So uh, no problem at all, anytime. And uh, hopefully, uh, Jared, you uh, um, can uh, tag a turkey so I can edit your hunt here before too long. <laughs> All right, that's the kick in the ass I needed right there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to try to slide out tomorrow um, and, and probably Saturday, too, a little bit uh, in the morning. But tomorrow I'm thinking of trying a little midday action, um, depending on – got some rain coming in early afternoon. So if I can uh, 
I can make that happen, buddy. It's it's been good the last few years, so I'm not going to give up yet. That's for darn sure. The, the turkey season has been it's been weird. Uh, the weather has just played havoc. But I'm telling you, the most action I've had all year has been between eight o'clock and ten o'clock when them toms okay. are starting to break off those hands. So I like that idea because um, I feel like before that you're hit or miss. They're, you're either on them or you're off them. And early season, I feel like you're off them. Brian, we talked about this last week on the podcast. Uh, yep. So yeah, trying to get out there a little bit later and and seeing what happens. I know I know I'm in the spot just about um, if I can bring them in. So Blake, I'll make it happen for you, buddy. I got a month left to do this about. I'll make it happen for you. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor, leave us a five star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.